The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning again. So something has been on my mind that has to do with why we meditate, why we practice mindfulness, what difference does it make in life. All of us come to meditation in a different way. Some of us come because we're suffering. Some of us come because we want a new way of relaxing, which is kind of the backhanded way of saying I'm suffering from being too tense. (laughs) But all of us have this motivation that we sit in order to be more at peace. In some way, we want to be more at peace. We want to be free. Free of suffering. So this morning, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about freedom, liberation. I'm going to use the words freedom and liberation, but you can just as easily substitute ease and peace because that's the context in which I'm going to be speaking about them. There's a a formulation that you often hear in in Buddhist uh, circles about freedom that arises from seeing clearly, seeing clearly and noticing that we are enchanted. We are enchanted in some way. And when we can see clearly there is a route to being disenchanted. And when we are no longer under the throes of whatever it is that has grabbed us, then we are dispassionate. And in that dispassion, there's a falling away, a letting go. So it sounds very simple. See clearly, become disenchanted, enter into dispassion, and be free. Well, if it's so simple, how do we get there? (laughs) What does it mean to be disenchanted? What does it mean to be enchanted, for that matter? What are we enchanted under? What we're looking for is the freedom from suffering, the freedom from fear, the fear of letting go of ourselves, of who we are, who we might be, Most of the enchanted happens up here, in the mind, in the mind. I believe things to be true. One of the, one of the most insidious ways that we believe things to be true is, is in the belief, I am like this. I, I am like this. I do this. I am always this way. And there are all kinds of characteristics we imagine that are us. The story about freedom is really the story about recognizing, endorsing, incorporating impermanence. It's really seeing that we are not always this way. Things are not always this way. It is, in fact, seeing clearly. Seeing clearly with fresh eyes that we hope to develop. So... 
So I'm going to tell you a story about uh, something I've recently gone through, not because I want to talk about that, but because it's applicable. So uh, for the last three months, I've been on a very low-calorie diet. This diet uh, allows me to have 800 calories a day, which is a very small number, if you've ever counted calories, which in my life I never have. And it has all sorts of restrictions. You can do this, you can't do that. You have to have this, you can't have that. So at the beginning, the reason I went on this diet was that my doctor told me to either lose weight or I'm going to put you on drugs because my lipids were too high. And so I was motivated. I said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. But a very low-calorie diet, forgive me, this is not going to work in my life. So, so I had to consider the possibility that I could do it. You know, whatever we embark on, there's always a certain amount of doubt. The doubt that I can do this. The doubt that I can be successful at this. The doubt that it'll make a difference if I do this. So we have to overcome that doubt. We have to begin and say, okay, I really want this to happen. This, I, I have this goal, and I'm willing to work at it. And I'm willing to keep an open mind. A mind that doesn't assume what the outcome is going to be. Believe me, I had all kinds of assumptions about the outcome. We have to have a willingness to be open to an outcome we don't expect. That's actually quite risky in any aspect of life. Even if it's sitting on the cushion, I've known moments, particularly every time I go off on retreat, I have a little bit of fear. I don't know what's going to happen on retreat. When I'm deep in meditation, what's going to show up that I don't expect? Just a little bit of fear. And over the years, I've become quite confident that even when bad things happen, they're good. (laughs) Even when things that I'm afraid of happen, well, I'm able to meet them with a little more freshness. But it also takes effort. You actually have to go. You actually have to show up. You actually have to do it. And you have to keep doing it. It's not enough to show up the first time. A diet that lasts one day is not a diet. (laughs) It's a happening. (laughs) You have to show up every day. You have to persevere. You have to, okay, I'm doing this. I'm committed to doing this and I'm doing this. I'm going to be here for this day. And there's some precision that's involved, you know. It's so easy to just slip here and slip there. So on this diet, I actually got myself a little digital scale and some measuring cups. The idea of eating out of measuring cups was just horrifying to me. What? I still use those measuring cups because they free me. The precision of following the diet exactly means I don't have to keep making decisions. I don't have to keep every day saying, okay, now, how much of this and how much of that? I just measure it. Here it is, the precision of the practice. 
we're going to talk a little bit about the precision of the practice of mindfulness. And then finally, a surprise at the outcome. When we start on something, we think we know what the, what the path is going to be. And we think we know what the milestones are. And we think we know what the outcome is going to be. After all, we've set out in that direction. But the most delightful part are all the surprises. All the things that happen that we weren't anticipating. Surprises can be fearful. They can be scary. They can be delightful. And too often in, "Mm, I don't want to fail, we end up not allowing for the possibility that we're not going to fail. Oh my goodness, the possibility that we're not going to fail? How strange. In the same way, to be suffering, to be free of suffering, we have to adopt these same factors. We have to be motivated. We have to be willing to let whatever outcome arises, arise. This not clinging to knowing what the outcome is, is a really important part of mindfulness. When we know the breath is following the next breath, the next breath, the next breath, we forget to pay attention to the breath. We miss it. Because we know it's, gonna, it's just happening. And we get into the rhythm. And we're not noticing the breath. And we're not actually here in this moment. We are not being precise about our meditation. So I want to start off by talking about the four liberating insights of the Buddha. So these have been formulated. Usually we hear them in a slightly different format. But in fact, this is how the Buddha talked about the end of suffering. He said, I directly knew as it actually is, this is suffering. I directly knew, as it actually is, this is the arising of suffering. I directly knew, as it actually is, this is the cessation of suffering. I directly knew, as it actually is, this is the practice leading to the cessation of suffering. Of note here is the emphasis on direct experience, not what I know. I directly knew as it actually is, this is suffering. How do, how do we directly know? Only through our bodies. Only through our bodies do we experience life. We experience it in sight and sound and taste and smell in the thoughts that arise, this is the experience of life. The mental states, the mind states that we go through the day, this is how we experience life. We can only directly experience by being aware of our senses, our mind states, our feelings. This is what it means to be mindful to be conscious of them, to know them. 
to actually know them. We must see it, feel it, be conscious of it directly. So, this is suffering. Seeing something clearly evident here and now. It's not about what used to happen, what might happen, what could happen. What's happening right now? So, so let's choose an affliction. Let's choose, we're choosing this because it came up when I was thinking about this talk, resentment. Resentment. We all know resentment. We've experienced resentment. Why is that happening? Why are they so successful? Why is she so beautiful? Why does mother like him better? We all know resentment in some form. That feeling that something is not just. It's not just. It's not fair. So there are elements to this feeling of resentment. There are the feelings, the physical feeling. There's a contraction, or there's sadness, or there's uh, uh, anger in resentment. There's a, a reaction. There's a curdling kind of feeling. Resentment is not an open feeling. It's a real closed-down kind of feeling. So then there's a reaction to that in us. There's a reaction. This is unpleasant. Resentment is actually quite unpleasant. When we're resenting someone or something or something that's happened, there's a, it's unpleasant. We notice it's unpleasant. And then we think, well, it's not my fault. And we immediately go into a defense. Well, of course I resent this because it's not fair. And we tell the story. It's not fair. And the mind creates a justification for why I'm feeling this way. Which, of course, gives rise to more feelings of resentment, more suffering, more displeasant, more uncomfortableness. We see the suffering that arises. We see, ooh, unpleasant. We see it happening as we tell ourselves the story justifying the resentment. Oh, this is the arising of suffering. If we can see that moment, oh, this is the arising of suffering. That point at which there's an aversion where we say, it's not my fault, not my fault. Oh, this is giving rise to more resentment. This is giving rise to that suffering. We see giving rise to suffering. And then we stop the story. Just for a moment, we just, oh, wait. I don't want to cause myself more unhappiness. Wait, and we stop just momentarily. We stop the story. And we say, it's like this. This is painful. We see the suffering. And in the stopping, we see that we're no longer feeding the suffering. In the absence of the story, there's a kind of short circuit. There is disenchantment. We're no longer wrapped up in the story, justifying the resentment. And it's like we take a breath of air right in that moment. The story comes back. We see the arising of that caving in feeling once again when the story is being told. And we say, 
oh, this is the rising of suffering. And then we say, I can stop the story. I can be right here in this moment. Turning the attention to the here and now leads to disenchantment. As soon as we come into the room, away from the story about why we're feeling resentful, it's changed. It's not the same. The quality of what we're feeling has shifted. And we say, oh, oh, I don't need to tell myself that story anymore. With the attention here, the energy shifts from the story, which is feeding, to, oh, but what's happening right now? Right now is more uncertain and unsettled and interesting. The energy has shifted, it's changed. We are, in fact, disenchanted. We are, in fact, dispassionate about the whole resentment thing because it's so curious in this moment. What's, what's actually happening now? There is no energy feeding the feeling. It dissipates. We notice the impermanence of the resentment. Resentment, oh yeah, yeah, resentment. And then we start thinking about it again. And then we let go and we say, oh, this is the practice. This is the practice of the cessation of suffering, of resentment. To stop telling the story. To be in the now. Oh, this is how it works. Oh, it's like this. I'm uncertain. I'm more confident. Oh, In fact, the, the development of mindfulness is really considered the ability to notice the arising and passing away of our experience. Now, when we're meditating, that becomes actually easier because there are fewer distractions in the room. <laughs> we have our eyes closed. We're just following the breath. And we can see the breath coming and leaving. Thoughts arise and pass away. But when we're sitting in this room, when we're actively in a a process of life, moving forward with all of the distractions of life, this ability to notice this is what's happening now is really key. This is what's happening now. It's the seeing clearly part of the equation. Oh, this is what's happening. Well, mindfulness is the key. As we're walking along, we may know we're walking along, but we may not be conscious of the fact that we're kind of slinking with our shoulders slip, slipped down because we don't actually want to be seen. We're unconscious of all of that. But if we're conscious of, oh, look at my shoulders, they're slumped, and immediately we'll straighten up. But, oh, my shoulders were slumped. Something was happening. It's not so important to know exactly what happened or why it happened, but to be aware of, oh, this is what's happening. It isn't a question of judging whether it's good or bad or skillful or unskillful so much as it is seeing it. Oh, this is what's happening. All of us have triggers, habits of mind, 
something something shows up. My my husband has this thing that's important to him to be able to just mindlessly button up his shirt. So his shirt is very often buttoned crooked. Irritates me. Really irritates me. Now it shouldn't matter. He's still the same wonderful person, whether his shirt is buttoned straight or buttoned unstraight. But it drives me crazy. <laughs> he only wanders around with a shirt misbuttoned, thinking, why is he doing that? It is a trigger for me. Understanding it is not so important as it is realizing when I say to him, please button your shirt straight. He feels criticized. It's unkind to him. So the problem here is not that I get irritated. The problem is my relationship to what I'm feeling. Do I have to fix it? Or can I just be irritated? How about my willingness to just be irritated by it and let it go? To not be enchanted by the need for it to be the way I want it to be. But just see it. Okay, shirt misbuttoned. Irritation is present. End of story. Now, I have to tell you, this is an issue because I don't always let go of it. And sometimes I say, oh, please rebutton your shirt. <laughs> and then I have to remind him that I still love him. <laughs> because he feels so criticized by that. So I see this playing out over and over and over. This little thing, this little dance. And increasingly, I become able to just see irritation is present. End of story. End of story. Life doesn't have to be great. Life just is. Suffering arises out of wanting it to be other than it is. So, we train our mindfulness to just notice this is how it is. This is how it is. Not the judgment about whether it's good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant, skillful or unskillful. It's like this. Once we see it's like this, then we can decide what to do. But if we don't see it's like this, we may find ourselves telling our husband to button his shirt over again because we haven't actually noticed that irritation is my problem, not his. Ah. Now, suppose we get to the point where we become disenchanted and we're dispassionate and we're no longer trying to fix everything. This may seem unfamiliar. And unfamiliar always feels a little bit wrong. The first time I really significantly became calm, I was sure there was something wrong. It was so unfamiliar to me. I was literally addicted to buzzing energy. That's how I knew I was alive. As long as everything was, that was great. And actually feeling the opposite of that buzz 
the stillness, the sweetness of stillness. When I first encountered it, I thought it was just something was wrong. So this is a a place on the path to be aware of, in the practice to be aware of, that sometimes we are so used to a certain way of experiencing the world that when we experience in a different way, we think there's something wrong. We think, oh, oh, the unfamiliar must be bad. When in fact the unfamiliar can give rise to great joy. Great joy. Only in recognizing my own addiction to energy and that sizzling feeling was I able to understand that energy happened Energy is neither good nor bad. It's just energy. Oh. So then I became aware of energy. When are things energetic? What what is this energy like? Why do I attach feelings to energy? It's just energy. There's energy in anger. There's energy in happiness. There's energy in delight. There's energy in resentment. It's just energy. So we navigate that, becoming aware of what's the energetics of this moment? How do I feel about that? Am I worried about that? Am I worried because the energy is low, it means something is bad? Something is, should be happening and it isn't happening? Am I reacting to the energy of the moment? Am I developing a story about why the energy is this way? Am I lost to the present because of the image I'm holding in front of it? So let's choose something else. Let's choose self-acceptance. So sometimes we're so focused on self-improvement <laughs> that, that we, are, uh, we begin to see our lives as a series of steps toward the ideal us. As soon as I become more mindful, I am going to be a perfect person, whatever that perfect person looks like. And we have an image of what this perfection amounts to. And it usually has nothing to do with the embodied person in this room. We become enchanted by this view of what we would be like if we were perfect. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if we were perfect, this is what we would be, as opposed to this is how we are. This is what's happening now. This now is not a cause for suffering. We seem to have this syllogism, I suffer, therefore I'm bad. I suffer, I'm wrong, I'm deficient. To end suffering, I must be good, virtuous, different than this. We demand, I will be different than this. This is the form of aversion, you know. This is saying, not me. I'm not acceptable. 
I'm not good. I, 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 I'm flawed. This is a misplacement of view. Suffering does not arise because of what does not exist. Suffering arises out of how things are and our relationship to that. Think about that. Suffering doesn't arise because of how things are not. Suffering arises in the experience, our direct experience, we know suffering through whatever senses, whatever way we are experiencing the world. That gives rise to suffering. Not how we're not experiencing the world. So I recently read something in a book um, by uh, Earthland Manuel, who is a Zen priest. She has a a singing group in Oakland, and she's written a book called The Way of Tenderness. Now, tenderness is kind of a a loaded word. Tender can be gentle, can be compassionate. It can also be rough and raw. And, you know, we, we say... I recently had uh, surgery on my thumb to repair a severed nerve from a kitchen accident. And the, 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 you know, there's a small scar here, but what's interesting is touching it. It's very tender. It reacts to just the slightest touch, sort of overreacts. It's tender. So tenderness is a, is a useful way to think about how we meet the moment with tenderness. So there is kindness, there is compassion, there is generosity, there is rawness, there's this edge, this edge to the moment that we're we're making ourselves vulnerable to see just how it is. Scary. A little scary. So in this book, here's what I want to read you. She was talking about Uh, meditation. And she says, I speak simply of just being still, of finding that place where our only act is breathing. In this state of stillness, we do not seek answers for our active minds, but allow one breath to be the total experience of life. And this is this is the, the phrase that got me. A moment is not now. A moment is simply in a state of being itself. Not important, not profound, not grandiose. A moment is not now. A moment is simply in a state of being itself. We too can be in a state of being ourselves and not worry about now. We can be wholly ourselves as ourselves while engaging the breath. As a result of this breath, as a result of the meditation that arises from it, our motivations become purified of our wounds, our expectations, our stories, and our distorted perceptions of others. We can be wholly ourselves, as ourselves, while engaging the breath. As a result of this breath, as a result of the meditation that arises from it, 
our motivations become purified of our wounds, our expectations, our stories, and our distorted perceptions of others. We are just this. We are free of the need to be otherwise. With this breath, this breath, I can be free of reacting. I can be free of needing to be anything. I can just be with this breath. Can you allow this moment of just being? Just that. Just that, nothing else, just this moment, just being. This moment of being free of enchantment, allowing the dispassion of this moment to let things fall away. Just let them fall away. If we can know this breath, we can be free. For this moment, we can be at complete ease. So here's the practice. What is happening for me now? in the midst of whatever else is true, what is happening for me now? What are the energetics of the moment? How am I feeling? Where in my body do I feel it? Rest in the here and now. Whatever you were thinking, let it go and just be here. Don't be pulled away in a story. Don't apply, this is how I'm going to apply this in the future. This is what this means to me. Oh, if I could just let, just be here. By refusing to engage in the story, by refusing to justify how I'm feeling or explain how I'm feeling, but just feeling it, I am free of the arising of suffering. It doesn't have to mean anything. I don't have to be a certain way. I can let go of an imagined perfect self. I can fully endorse impermanence. Okay, so this moment is not going to last. Great. I see the arising and passing away of all things in this moment, just this. Judgment is not the way to self-acceptance. No. Seeing clearly is. This is how I am. Right now, I'm peaceful. This is how I am. I'm irritated. This is how I am. Resentment is present. This is not me. This is just 
now. This is just this moment, the state of this moment. I directly knew it as it actually is. This is suffering. I directly knew it as it actually is. This is the arising of suffering. I directly knew as it actually is. This is the cessation of suffering. I directly knew as it actually is. This is the practice leading to the cessation of suffering. When we know that practices lead to the end of suffering, it's a lot easier to do them. (laughs) Oh, there's a reason I'm doing this. We engage them. We let go of the story. Suppose we say, this action is suffering. Being unkind causes suffering to others. It's not so much a judgment as to notice when I tell my husband to button his shirt and he frowns that I have just been unkind. Oh, unkind. Let go of the story. Suffering ends. When I stop being unkind, my heart is at ease. Oh. In in the midst of agitation, my heart is at ease because I am not being unkind. I am not following that path. Or maybe I see the suffering. Why am I this way? Why do I have to be irritated by this? What's wrong with me that I'm irritated by this? I let go of the story. I'm irritated. There's irritation here. (sighs) I let go. Suffering ends. In seeing the irritation... I let go of what I perceive as the cause of the irritation and just settle in the feeling of, oh, irritation is here. Irritation is here. I don't need to tell the story about what it means because my husband buttons his shirt wrong. Or perhaps I see the fear of being taken advantage of if I'm kind. Hmm? If I'm kind to everyone, they're just going to take advantage of me. If I'm always helping people, they expect me to do more. And we tell ourselves the story. And we're off in the world of resentment (laughs) from being kind. Oh, something, something is missing here. Oh, being kind doesn't give rise to the suffering. Fear of being taken advantage of. Oh, that's the suffering. That's the suffering. The fear of being taken advantage of. That's a story. That isn't real. That hasn't happened. That's not what's happening now. I can just be kind. Perhaps my history tells me that being kind leads to being taken advantage of. What is the suffering? Is it fear of being overtaxed? Is it fear of not being seen in a particular light? Seeing clearly is about saying, what's happening now, really? 
What's really happening now? What is the feeling that leads to my fear of being kind? I know that being kind brings ease to my heart. So what's this other thing? It must not have anything to do with kindness. It has to do with something else. What's really happening? What is the suffering? Maybe something is no longer true that once brought me great happiness. This is something we all experience as we age. When we, our physical prowess goes down, our physical conditioning is depleted, our immune systems are depleted, our systems start breaking down in general, we don't get over being sick as rapidly as we used to, our perceived sexiness is out the door, and we, we begin to see that we are developing an idea about age and aging and dying I'm getting older now, definitely getting older. And I have to tell you, I'm not nearly as decrepit as I expected to be at this age. At the same time, I bemoan all my current limitations. This living in the, this is what it's like to age place, is a source of great learning for me. This is what aging means. Oh, this is what aging means. Not what I thought about it, not how, what, it, what it means, but this is how it feels. Today it feels like this. And a couple of weeks ago, it felt like that. You know, when I was re- had a big cast on my arm and my knee had gone out and I was on this horrible diet. I mean, aging seemed like a really bad plan. <laughs> And today, it's very different. Very different. The being able to just see this is what's happening gets you out of the trap of having to be a certain way. Oh, this is what's happening today. This is what's happening now. Adopting the lessons of disenchantment. How I think things should be, ought to be, could be. Becoming disenchanted with that, but rather curious with, oh, this is how it is. Oh, this is how it is today. I practice seeing clearly. Practice seeing clearly just how things are. Then I can decide what to do next. But I start by knowing how it is now. Here and now not living in sadness or fear of not being good enough or how it is not or the fantasy of how it should be. Just here. I practice what gives rise to the end of suffering. Seeing when I am enchanted by how I wish things were otherwise and letting go of how I wish things were otherwise, to just see this. This is the direct experience of my life. And the reason 
I'm so attached to that, using one of the favorite Buddhist words, is because the times when I have been totally in this moment have been times of great joy. In the midst of irritation, I can experience joy. The joy of not having to be otherwise. So I'm going to read you something about joy by uh, Rainier Rilke, German poet. The reality of any joy in the world is indescribable. Only in joy does creation happen. Happiness, on the contrary, is only a promising and interpretable pattern of things already existing. Joy, however, is a marvelous increasing of what already exists, a pure addition out of nothingness. How superficially must happiness engage us, after all, if it can leave us time to think and worry about how long it will last? Joy is a moment, unobligated, timeless from the beginning, not to be held but also not to be truly lost again, since under its impact our being is changed chemically, so to speak, and does not only, as may be the case with happiness, savor and enjoy itself in a new mixture. No, he says, joy is a moment, unobligated, timeless from the beginning, not to be held, but also not to be truly lost again, since under its impact our being is changed. May you all see things just as they are. May this wisdom of clear seeing lead to disenchantment with how things are not. No longer enchanted, may you know dispassion. May you give up the ties leading to suffering and be free in the state of this moment. Thank you. So, those are my thoughts for today. Do you have any thoughts or comments or observations? Thank you for this talk very much. So my comment slash question is not going to be very well articulated because it's kind of fuzzy in my head. So for reasons unrelated to this talk, I've been pondering lately a lot that obviously nobody dies of a good health. So like sooner or later, we would have to come to terms with the fact that things are not going well. Yes. So... um, And where I'm taking this experience that the only, like, reasonable way to me of relating to that is to try to keep yourself company and try to be kind. So I don't know if there is anything else to do because, like, the being kind situation 
it to me at this point in time has a flavor of partially defeat because things are not going well, but partially of the only reasonable thing that you can actually do to make yourself feel better because this is what a friend would do to yourself, uh, to you. So I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but I would appreciate if you could elaborate on a situation of things inevitably not going well and what do you do with that? Sure. So... Um, I'm thinking there was a time, ah, the time when I cut my thumb and was bleeding all over the kitchen, that I realized I was about to pass out. Just pass out. I could see that was happening. And I was saying to myself, no, I'm not going to pass out. There's no reason to pass out. I'm aware of that. I'm just going to be... And, And at some point I realized... I could not stop that from happening. That realization right there, oh my God, I'm going to pass out. And passing out is really interesting because you lose consciousness. You're no longer experiencing your life. I was still breathing. My poor husband was there trying to figure out what to do. But I was not there. The way I think of myself. The body was there breathing. And when I came back to consciousness, that I was so taken by that on-off switch. Conscious, unconscious, conscious. When I came to, I realized that some time had passed. That I had missed some time. But what I was mostly conscious of was Consciousness. Oh, here. And unlike what you might expect, the realization that you can disappear, just poof, it didn't lead to a sense of, of despair and fear. It, it, it was wonder that I experienced when I came back to, oh my goodness. The realization that I could not control the outcome, coupled with the wonder of being back, caused me to think with renewed vigor about impermanence. The impermanence that things are constantly arising and passing away, arising and passing away. And when we become comfortable Yes, when we become comfortable with arising and passing away, we become capable of meeting it with balance and equanimity. So, when I'm in the midst of some physical suffering, which I've had some of in the recent months, I can be aware of the physicalness of that. I can be enchanted by the story that says, okay, this is the ending. I can see now there's this gradual downward trend to the end of my life. The passing out and coming back reminds me that I don't control that ending, that that ending could be now. 
it isn't what I that I don't know what is in in front of me, what is ahead of me. Why worry about what is ahead of me? Because I can't know it. It's a fantasy. Now, I've spent a lot of time in... Uh, in I was a hospice volunteer for nine years. And I watched a lot of people go through this process of the ending of their lives. And it is a profound process. And it isn't pretty. And right now, today... Like everyone in this room, I am dying. But didn't happen this moment, because I can't know that. So I try to stay in this moment and see the arising and passing away of everything in this moment. And that gives me great solace. I choose kindness over unkindness. Because I have seen unkindness causes suffering. And kindness fills my heart with ease. So I have my own personal goals. My own personal goals of how to meet each moment with equanimity. And I do that for myself, primarily by my intention of being open-hearted, being vulnerable to the extent that I can be vulnerable to this moment. I'm not always successful. But joy arises when I am. So I don't say meet this with perfect equanimity. I say I meet it with a sense of vulnerability because I cannot know I can only see the arising and passing away. Does that help? So that helps partially, but again, do excuse my state of being confused. So uh, the part which um, happened for myself somewhat naturally is the part of kindness and compassion because from personal experience I have seen over and over when I'm kind to myself things go better when I'm not I'm not so 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 this is the direction that comes easily the part that it's not because I have not had a direct experience that this part goes better is the part of disinterest disidentification with how things ought to be because all my previous experience has been the following that no matter how much suffering there is in a way if uh, in if I dig my heels and aim for a particular result and put in the work once I've achieved that result my actual experience is better at that moment even though the part towards that result leads to suffering for example if i know that it's very important for me to stick to particular diet and i take time cooking what i need to be cooking even though i need also cook for my family and absolutely bloody hate it at the end of the day my body feels better so what i'm having trouble with is that 
this identification with a particular result because I know at the end of the day I'm better even though journey is not. And I understand that suffering, there is no bonus points for suffering. I, I like totally okay, get that. So, so what you're telling me is if I know what a good outcome is, if I drive to that outcome, then that's the best outcome. And I'm saying that may not be true. Because along the way, you may be encouraging a great deal of suffering. So the goal is not to be free later, because we're not free when we're tied to something. The goal is to be free now. So... um, Letting go of being enchanted by how things should be can only be seen when you see that, when you discover in your own experience that this drive toward things as they should be is causing suffering. Only then can you say, I don't want to suffer anymore. So it is an act of saying, what is really happening now? Not in the future. What is happening now? And constantly being in touch with, oh, the the dissonance with how my heart wants to be and how I'm experiencing the world. Dissonance is here. It isn't me. Dissonance is here. That's seeing clearly. Practice seeing clearly. Because it's only in your own experience this will make any difference to you. Not in my experience or her experience. Only in your own experience. What's happening now? So, thank you. We have come to the end of the morning. <laughs> so uh, I can be here if anybody else has questions. But otherwise, may you see clearly. May you enjoy the joy of that freedom. Thank you. <laughs>